Good morning. Today's reading is from John 9, 1 through 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. No one can work when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received a sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been given blind, who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, the, why this is an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Here we go. Believe is our current teaching series, The Gospel According to John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 9. We read that whole chapter there for you. And so we're going to, maybe this is a little bit too ambitious this morning. We're going to go through there and dissect this chapter. It's a great chapter. Also grab your sermon notes out and uh, you can follow along. Thank you guys for loving and uh, supporting our young guys over the last two weeks. Uh, Jace and Luke, didn't they do a great job? Yeah, praise God. Did an outstanding job. We've got more young guys coming up, coming up to bat. And so continue to love and support them as we develop uh, all of our young guys and as they become more and more used by God in their teaching and encouraging us through God's word. Spiritual sight is the title of this weekend's message. And let me start with a story here. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. I never would have dreamed that yellow is is so yellow. He exclaimed, "I, I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow, but red, red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. And I can see the shape of the moon and and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars and the sky and the, and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. Now, if that's true physically. How much more is that true spiritually? I'm telling you, when your blind eyes are opened into this spiritual realm of who God is and what he's up to and what he's wanting to do in our lives, there is nothing quite like it. Look at your sermon notes here, part of the intro. How tragic it must be to never see the light of day. But there is a far greater tragedy than physical blindness. Some people with 20-20 vision are blind spiritually to God and to his work all around us. 
So Jesus heals a man born blind, not just physically, but also spiritually. It's quite a fascinating story here, and there's some great parallels between the two. So two questions we're looking at, you can see there on your notes. What is spiritual blindness? What is true about spiritual blindness? And then what is spiritual sight? What is true about spiritual sight? Let's take that first one. What is spiritual blindness? This is based on verses 1 through 23 of our text. Now, anytime you read a text, you read it in the context. And so if you have your Bibles, how many have their Bibles with them this morning? These kind of Bibles? You got this Bible? Anybody? Yep, yep, yep. How about... Electronic Bible. You got your electronic Bible? Yep, I see those. Good. I'm thankful that you guys bring your Bible because from time to time we'll put the verses up here. This morning we won't put the verses up there as we work through them. So it's important to continue to refer back to your scriptures. Bring them with you. I encourage you to do that. Follow along. And, and so it, when you read a text, you always read it in the context. And so let me, let me show you the context here. John chapter 8, verse 59, the last verse of the last chapter, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, that is Jesus. They, they were going to throw stones at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now I'm thinking if my life was being threatened, which my life has been threatened a couple different times, I didn't usually hang around long, okay? I had tailed it out of there and went on a couple months sabbatical for soul care just to kind of recoup from all of that. Not Jesus. Look what it says in the very first verse of chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the reason for that is that Jesus isn't rattled or self-absorbed in the least bit by the almost deadly confrontation that he has there in the temple. Typically when we're, we're suffering, our life is under duress or threat, we become very self-absorbed. Not Jesus, <laughs> not Jesus here. He has a profound disregard for the threat and the hatred of his enemies and, and, and has an inexhaustible love and compassion for people suffering and in need. So he's heading out of the temple and he sees this man in need. This man born blind. Now, if you want a passion for Jesus, all you need to do is look at his compassion for this man because it's the same compassion he has for us. No one loves you like he loves you. And the more you see that, the more you will have an incredible passion for him. And so... As he passed by, he saw a man born blind. And notice verses two and three. And his disciples ask him, and they immediately want to go into kind of this intellectual dialogue. And they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this man's blindness made him a social outcast in this culture. And... And what people thought, oh, you were born blind, so it must have been you sinned or your parents sinned. Somebody sinned, and it's kind of fascinating. So what they believed here is that they believed that you could actually sin in your mother's womb. It sounds a little crazy, but I have got to tell you, all three of my kids sinned in their mother's womb. <laughs> they kicked their mom like you wouldn't believe. How, that was just terrible. And then they resisted, you know, the birth process. They fought like crazy, those little sinners. No, you'd say, that's normal, that, they didn't sin, of course not. But for some reason in this, in this culture, they had this idea that, oh, he must have sinned in his mother's womb, or maybe his parents sinned. And Jesus says, basically, no, there's no connection between his sin or their sin. This is for God's glory. Now, we could get into this whole idea of suffering a little bit, but this is what you need to know, is that the suffering that we see on this planet Earth, it's horrific. 
It's horrible. And the reason for that, it's symptomatic of our rebellion against God. That's the bottom line. Anytime you see suffering, it's because of man in general, his rebellion against God. Now, specifically, the Bible does tell us that, that it's under the law of sowing and reaping. We can certainly sow seeds, bad seeds, and reap the harvest of those bad seeds. And so we can bring suffering onto our lives because of our sin. But there can also be uh, suffering into our life because we have an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that based on 1 Peter chapter 5. The devil's out to inflict injury and hurt on people, and that's the cause of sin too. But then there's the, the rippling effect. You know, if your neighbors down the street raise delinquents and they come down your, to your house and rob you blind, no pun intended, but I mean, you, you are hurt in some ways, not because of your sin, but because of their sin. So there's this rippling effect. We live in a fallen world, and we'll all experience suffering in our lives. But what Jesus is wanting them to understand more than anything is don't try to fix the blame, but focus on how God can bless in the midst of this. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Don't focus on that. It's so easy to try to intellectualize and get into all of this, you know, who's sinned and what's going on and why do we have suffering. And a lot of people will defect from the faith over suffering or reject God because of suffering. And Jesus is saying, wait, 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 you're looking at the wrong thing here. You need to realize that I can do something pretty powerful here. When people are suffering, they don't need a lecture on suffering, but love to overcome their suffering. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand right at the front end of this is that there is no suffering, and all of us are going to experience suffering. Maybe you're coming out of suffering, and maybe you're experiencing suffering, and I'll guarantee you you're going to experience it maybe in the future suffering. But I'm telling you, whatever you're suffering, God can use that in your life to bring glory to him, and he can do that for your good, and he can do unbelievable work in your life through his suffering. That's the point, that there is no suffering on this planet, no suffering that you'll ever go through that is a match for his redeeming, restoring, rescuing grace. So if you're going through suffering right now, look to him, look to what God wants to do in the midst of your suffering. I'm telling you, he wants to do some phenomenal things in your life, and he will. He will look to him, and that's, what, that's the point that he's making with his disciples and, and so that's important. So, so this man's blindness made him a social outcast in the culture. You must have done something wrong to make God angry. Health and wealth equaled favor with God. That's that, what that culture taught. You even see that in the book of Job in the Old Testament. Remember his miserable comforters that came alongside of him? Job was a very righteous man, really loved the Lord, and yet he experienced suffering. It wasn't because of him. There was no direct connection because of sin that he had done, but just living in a fallen world. It was actually Satan that was coming against him. You read that in the story. But remember, his miserable comforters kept saying, no, you must have sinned. You got God angry. There's something wrong with your life, Job. And there wasn't. I mean, none of us are perfect, but at the same time, there was not any direct connection. And in fact, this blind man would have received zero education and employment opportunities, therefore forcing him to be a beggar in that culture. He was an outcast. And so God's wanting to do work a miracle here in his life. So here's the first uh, parallel between this man's physical blindness and spiritual uh, blindness. First fill in the blank on your notes. So what is spiritual blindness? It is a condition everyone is born with. John 3, 3, remember Jesus talking to the, the, the man Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, and Jesus told him, kind of leveled with him and said, if you want to see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You gotta, your eyes need to be opened. You need uh, 
transformation. You need uh, conversion. You need regeneration in your life. And you need to put your faith in Christ as we see in that story. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so what's, who's the God of this world? Anybody? Help me. Yeah, Satan. He's the God of this world. Why? Because we've rebelled against God and we've invited his work in on our lives. And he's the God of this world, but, but he doesn't have ultimate control. God has that ultimate control because God is sovereign. And so he's on a leash. And he's limited in what he can do. And, and so the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. It is a condition, spiritual blindness is a condition everyone is born with. He was blind apart from Christ. Everyone is spiritually blind. He was begging apart from Christ. Everyone is spiritually begging for something to satisfy their deepest needs. And he nor could others cure him. That's the spiritual condition we are all in. Look at verses four and five. We must work the works of him. This is Jesus continuing on. We must work the works of him who sent me while it was day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's just basically saying there's an urgency here. And, and he's talking about his ministry, but he's also talking about all of our ministries here on planet Earth that we are running out of time. Would you guys agree with me, show of hands, that this place is getting dark? It's getting darker and darker. And it's our job to bring the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ to this dark world. So don't be overwhelmed by the darkness. It's going to get darker. It's going to get more difficult for us. But that's when the light God wants to shine his light in our lives and through our lives in an amazing ways. And that's what he's saying. There should be an, a, a sense of urgency within our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, my, my time is running out in my ministry. People need to see the light of the gospel of, of what I'm all about here. And so here's the next fill in the blank. Only Jesus can open our blind eyes. There's no other belief system, no other religion, no, no one, nothing else can open our blind eyes. Only Jesus can do that. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, he refers to Jesus as the light seven times. In the opening uh, verses of, of John, the Gospel of John, seven times he's the light. In John 3, 19, remember when he told Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again, unless you're born again. And then uh, John 3.16, you guys are familiar with that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, have everlasting life. When well, John 3.19, this is what he said, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness over light. So did you hear what he's saying? There's enough revelation of God for people to respond to. Light has come into the world through creation, conscience, commandments, ultimately through Christ, but men prefer darkness over light. It's on us. It's on them, is what he's saying. Light has come into the world, men prefer darkness over light, and only Jesus can open our blind eyes. The work of God is, is to bring light where there is darkness. That's our job, is to bring Jesus into those situations in our life, in people's lives. I love it. I love doing that. I'm bringing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ into dark situations, people's lives, marriages, personal lives. 
all sorts of issues and problems that are all around us. And God wants us to bring the light of who he is into their lives. Luke 4.18, among many things, it says that Jesus came to open up blind eyes. Now look at verses six through seven. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That's amazing. Now before I move on to, to the next point here, I've got to tell you a quick story here. My, uh, our son Ryan, when he was four years old, he's now pushing 40, and uh, when he was four years old, he came running into the house, and he had mud and dirt all over his face and in his eyes, crying, screaming. We said, what, what happened, what happened? And he said, Russ, his older brother, who's 40, uh, not, not then, but uh, he was five then, but <laughs> I'm telling the story wrong, okay? I got all messed up, but you guys are tracking with me, aren't you? Okay, okay, you're tracking with me. So anyway, uh, he was five then, and uh, Ryan was about three and a half, four years old. And so anyway, he comes in and Russ, put dirt in my eyes and mud in my eyes. And so we went out to Russ, we go, after we washed out his eyes, uh, Ryan's eyes, and said, Russ, what in the world is going on here, dude? And he said, I was pretending that I was Jesus <laughs> and that Ryan was the blind man. And he, so he was acting out his uh, Sunday school story. And I go, but your brother's not blind. But now he is blind. Don't do that again. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus uses a lot of different methods and he kind of mixes it up a lot. So sometimes we'll look at the method and make it sacred and think, oh, that's how he's gonna open blind eyes and all of that. No, 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 he used a lot of different methods, but I think he's stirring the pot right here because he knows he's doing it on the Sabbath. And he's, he's pulling the chain of the Pharisees just to show and reveal that these guys are, are misdirected, misguided, they're, they're blind guides. They don't even know what the heck they're doing. And he's, re he's really wanting to expose them through this and by what he's doing. But I think he's even, uh, there's another picture in this too, is that he's showing us how when we have the gospel preached to us, we must respond with faith and obedience. That's your next couple fill in the blanks. So imagine if this guy gets mud in his eyes, he's been blind since birth, guy walks up and says, hey, I can heal that, I'm gonna put mud in your eyes and then you need to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so, I mean, think about this story, put yourself in the story. I'm, I, I, he could have easily said, what? He's gonna help me and he put dirt in my eyes? He put mud in my eyes, that doesn't make sense. And I have a hard enough time getting around and I'm supposed to now make my way to the pool of Siloam to wash my eyes out? Oh, what's wrong with this guy? No, he didn't do that. He believed and he obeyed. When you hear the, the gospel proclaimed, you need to respond to it. And it's in the responding to it, that's where your eyes will be opened. His eyes weren't open until he believed and obeyed, until he responded to what Jesus told him to do. Now, it's interesting here, there's some good... Uh, Parallels here, a speck of dirt irritates the eye. Have you ever had a speck of dirt in your eye? Bad enough to go into the ER. I've had a couple times working construction. It's crazy, it's really hurtful. Well, this guy had mud in his eyes. Can you imagine how that certainly felt in his eyes? And so it is with the preaching of the gospel. It irritates with conviction. You've gotta know the bad news before you hear the good news. 
You, you guys know that. My wife and I sat down with a couple this last week, and we told them, we wanted to tell them the good news, but we said, we've got to tell you the bad news first. This might irritate you, but you're, you're lost, and you don't know Christ, uh, and in fact, you're blind, and even what we say might not make sense to you, but we're going to explain to you that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's irritating, especially in our culture today. Oh, you told me that I'm a sinner? Yeah, everybody is. And we're all separated from God. And the only way that we can bridge that gap is not anything that we can do, but Christ did that for us. Oh, that's the good news. The good news is that Christ came to this earth to rescue us and to love us and to die in our place for our sins, to bridge the gap. Yeah, praise God. Praise God for that. And, and so, and if you'll respond in faith, in, in obedience, you, your eyes will be open. You'll begin to see the beauty of that. God's giving you enough light right now so that you can see that to respond to that. But if you don't and you refuse that, you're going to become, it's going to become darker and darker for you. And so you have to have that. There's an irritation in the preaching of the gospel initially. There's the bad news that precedes the good news. And the good news is really great because of, because of the bad news. And it irritates with conviction so that we, we want to do something about our sins. And so through faith in Christ, our eyes are opened. John chapter 1, verse 12, remember where it starts off? John chapter 1 talks about Jesus, the light of the world. Seven times it says he's the light that came into the world. And in John 1, 12, it talks about how the world's rejected him and even his own have rejected him. But it says, to all who received him and believed in him, believed in his name, notice the sequence here. So received, believed, he gave the right to become children of God. So it's in the believing and receiving we enter into becoming children of God. John 3, 16, as I've already quoted, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever what, whoever what, believes in him. Notice the sequence. Believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the sequence. Believe, receive, and believe. And that's where regeneration takes place in our life. That's what he's saying here. James 2.14 says, faith without works is what? It's dead. Faith without works is dead. So here's what's going on, and as we've said from the beginning, the book of John is all about believing. Believing is truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ entering the head, igniting the heart, and outworking through the hands. That's what you see happening in this guy. As he believes and obeys and washes and his eyes are opened. The world says, show me, and I'll believe. And Jesus says, believe, and I'll show you. When you take that step of faith, you take that step of faith. Now, notice how people respond to this noticeable difference in this man's life. His neighbors respond, well, I'm not going to read the text here, I'll just summarize it, but his neighbors respond with surprise and skepticism. They, they all, like, is this the guy? Wasn't this the guy? Wasn't the guy begging and he was blind at birth, you know, from birth on? And they're, they're kind of going back and forth. That's verses 8 through 12. His neighbors respond with surprise and skepticism. The Pharisees respond with disbelief and prejudice. Verses 13 through 17, in fact, they even say in verse 16, he's not from God, speaking of Jesus, he's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. I mean, these Pharisees are a pitiful mess. These are the dudes that know the Old Testament like the back of their hand, and they don't get it. 
They're not helping this guy. They don't even care about this guy. And they're making it all about rules and laws. It's insane. I mean, when you want to reject Jesus, any excuse will do. And then his parents believed but kept quiet because of their their fear of the Pharisees, verses 18 through 23. His parents said, he's of age, go ask him. And I'm thinking, if I was a parent of a son that was born blind, he's been blind his whole life, and then all of a sudden his eyes are open, oh my goodness, I would be elated. I I would want to know this man, Jesus. But they're intimidated, they're afraid. They're drawn back. They're just like, I mean, they should be celebrating, but they were intimidated. They were under the control of this religious system. By the way, that religious system still exists today in churches here in the community, in people's lives. You know any modern-day Pharisees? I do. Yeah. They're no fun. In fact, you, don't, you really don't want them in your church because they're elder brothers who run off a lot of younger brothers. If you're familiar with the prodigal son's story found in the 15th chapter of Luke. And so, I mean, it's quite a mess and they're, they're oppressing even his own parents. And, and with, with each group, the man continues to share his story. Here's the next, next point. Don't be surprised the world doesn't celebrate your noticeable life change. There will be a noticeable difference in, in our lives when we encounter Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new, brand new for us, regeneration. And so don't be surprised if the world doesn't celebrate with you in what God does or is doing in your life because they're spiritually blind and they're gonna think you're a fanatic, you're a freak, you're going through a phase in your life, they're gonna even make fun of you. I've had all of those. When I I was raised in in a Christian home and graduated and got into the union trades uh, through Local 469, became a pipe fitter, began to work at Coronado Generating Station, living at a man camp. And oh my goodness, that was insane. And, and these guys uh, said, ah, little nice Christian boy, you'll be just like us. Won't be long. You'll be drinking and womanizing like we do. That's just a phase. And I said, I don't think so. I think I, I actually really had an encounter with Jesus. I love him. I want to live my life for him. And they would make fun of me. And so uh, this phase has been going well over 50 years. And so uh, I'm just, I'm kind of wondering, is it going to ever end? No, it actually gets better as I walk with him and know him. It's just, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. But don't be surprised that people, people make fun of you and say crazy things about you. Now, what's interesting about this text is that four times in this chapter, people ask how, how, how the blind man was healed. Verse 10, verse 15, verse 19, verse 26. How? Well, the question isn't how, but who? If you know the who, you'll know the how. So if you get to know the who, the the Lord Jesus, you're going to go, of course he did that. Yeah, that's what he does. He loves us. He redeems us. He takes care of us. So, quite fascinating. So, before we move on, this is what I want you to understand. You cannot meet the creator of the universe and remain the same. There's a problem when people talk about meeting God and knowing God and yet remain unchanged by God. I've heard modern-day Pharisees say that. 
And I just go, I don't think you really know God. I really don't. If the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God comes to live within you, you will certainly be different no matter where you begin. I'm telling you, he will transform your life. Think about this. You're interacting daily with the God of the galaxies who loves you, adores you, hears you, is always with you. You have a relationship with him. Oh, my goodness. There's nothing better. He will transform your life. He won't be the same. So spiritual blindness is a condition we all are born with. Only Jesus can open our blind eyes. We must respond with faith and obedience. And don't be surprised the world doesn't celebrate your noticeable life change. So what is spiritual sight? What is spiritual sight? That's based on verses 24 through 41 of our text. Let's look at verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. So they're kind of forcing his hand. I don't know if you've ever been around people before that they're very manipulative and controlling, and that's what they're doing here. Give glory to God. This guy's a sinner. You know this guy's a sinner. Well, you're not asking me whether or not he's a sinner or whatever. You're just saying that this guy's a sinner. That's all there is to it. Give glory to God. If you really was giving glory to God, then you would say that he's a sinner. And I love his response. He answered, whether he is a sinner... I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's beautiful. I was blind, now I see. I don't know. I don't know that much about this guy, but I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I was blind, and now I see. Of course, I want to say, take that, Pharisees. Ugh. Now, he didn't have to say anymore. Just like, boom. Here's uh, your next fill in the blank here. So what is spiritual sight? It is an irrefutable testimony of Christ's transforming power. It's, it's hard to argue that. I was changed. Can't deny it. I'm just telling you. This is what happened to me. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, in this, I believe we have an introvert's guide to sharing your faith. So let me give it to you. It's on your notes. Three most important words, three most important words, I don't know. Twice he says that. They, they try to corner him and they start asking him hard questions and he goes, I don't know. Repeat those three words with me. I don't know. Let's say it again. I don't know. That's perfectly okay. Don't fake it. Someone asks you a hard question. You're going to say, I don't know. I don't know. The next time a friend asks you a difficult biblical question that you don't know the answer to, you're going to say with confidence, I don't know. You're going to say with confidence, I don't know. Very good. The next time an adversary tries to trap you with a biblical question to make you look foolish, you're going to say, without feeling threatened, I don't know. The next time your spouse asks you, do you love me, you're going to say with great passion, no, 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 don't use it there. That's totally a misapplication of that. Okay. No, don't do that. Say, yes, honey, I love you like nobody's business. I thank the world of you. 
The three most important words? I don't know. The three most powerful words? Here's my story. I don't know, but here's my story. I don't know who he is, but my eyes were blind, now I see. Once I was blind, now I see. And he gives that story each time, verses 10 through 11 to the neighbors, verses 13 through 15 to the Pharisees, and then he shares the same story, verse 25, to the Pharisees again. They're a little thick-headed, so he just keeps the story up. And it says in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So let me ask you this question, really important question. It better not be. I'm going to be praying for you. What is your story? What is your story? How has God rescued you, redeemed you, and restored you? What is your story? Once I was blind, now I see. What is your story? Your knowledge of God may be small, your faith may be weak, your doctrine may be confused, but if you have had an encounter with Christ, you will have a story. What's your story? When was the last time you shared your story? As a Christian, you should have multiple stories of God's rescuing love. Is rescuing love. Listen to me. If you're walking in vital union and communion with Christ each and every day, every week, month after month, I'm telling you, you're going to have multiple stories as He redeems you and loves you and pursues you. My wife and I have multiple stories in our lives. We have a marriage story. We nearly crashed and burned seven years into our marriage relationship. It was horrific. I would not be standing up here if it wasn't for the grace of God. This church would not exist if it wasn't for the grace of God. That's our story. We have a, a, a financial story. We have a miscarriage story. We have a parenting story. We have a ministry story. We have a sickness and health story. We have a grief and loss story. And in all of that, God has redeemed us and restored us. He's always been there for us. He loves us. He adores us. He's always with us. Nothing can separate us from his love. If you're walking with him, you'll have a story. You'll have multiple stories. His rescuing love should be a regular and consistent experience in your life. If you don't have a story, you may not be a Christian. Or at the least, you are not walking in close communion with Christ. I guarantee you, you will have a story. So what have you been struggling with lately and how has God helped you? We all struggle. You struggle. Show of hands. Anybody? We all struggle? Yeah? We all have struggles. So how has God met you in your struggles? Because he wants to do that. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. In what ways have you been experiencing his love and joy and peace in your life regardless of your circumstances? In what ways is God transforming your life through his word by both comforting you and, and also convicting you? Let me tell you my story just from this last week. I, I could give you a, a ton of different stories of how God continues to work in my life. I, I don't know what I would do without him. I, I'm desperate for him. I love him. My greatest passion in life is to know him and to make him known to others. 
And so this last week I had a bout with, uh, with worry and bitterness. It just came on me and I was just trying to fight it off and, and really struggling uh, with that. And you guys know that worry is, has to do with the future. It's believing that God's not going to get it right. And bitterness is about the past. It's believing that God got it wrong somehow and he can't take the bad that's happened to us and work it for our good and his glory. So I was kind of trapped in some really negative thoughts working through that, but as I continue every morning, I start each day with the Lord and, and in prayer and Bible study, and, and I'm telling you, God met with me. And he spoke to me so vividly, so clearly through Romans chapter five, verses three through five. Have you ever had verses come after you and begin to really speak to you through the work of the Holy Spirit? They just, they come alive. That's what happened this last week. And my wife also, along with these, she grasped these verses and we both were really encouraged. And what it says, it goes in the first part of that. The whole chapter is really a wonderful chapter. It talks about how we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him. And talks about what we rejoice in, all the major benefits, innumerable benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on and says, but we also rejoice in our suffering. When was the last time you rejoiced in your suffering? Ooh, that's hard. Yeah, that's convicting. It's like, ah. Now, rejoicing doesn't mean like, woohoo, more pain. That would be psycho, okay? We would have to counsel you and help you. Now, I don't think he's talking about that. He's actually talking more about there's, you're not, you don't feel hopeless. You feel you're filled with hope even in the midst of it because that's what it actually says. It says we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. Hope is not wishful thinking, but it's confident, joyful expectation. Hope is that, that part in our life that just says, you know what, he's got, he's got it covered. My past, my present, my future, he's got me. He loves me. He's always got my best interest at heart. I can trust him. I'm looking to him. And so he says... In fact, the next verse he says, and hope does not disappoint because he pours his love into our heart by his Holy Spirit. Oh, and how he did that from both myself and my wife as we were just, oh, enjoying these verses. That's my story. I love him. I love his redeeming work in my life regularly, consistently. And, and, and so... You need to be able to share your stories with others. You need to be doing it regularly. Let's continue on. I want you to hear the dialogue here, verses 26 through 34. And so they said to him, these are the Pharisees, what did, he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you hear a little snarkiness there? I do. Maybe I'm just putting it in there, but it's like, I've already told you guys. Get off my back. You guys want to be his disciples? Kind of in their face. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing, exclamation mark. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? I mean, he's just saying, you guys are the spiritual leaders here. You're, you're the, at the top of the spiritual chain. You, you guys are the experts in the Old Testament. You claim to know God, and you guys are clueless? He's challenging them. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does, does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born of, in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Well, that's a loving thing to do. Here's the next point on your notes. It is humble-hearted believers knowing more spiritual truth than unsaved, educated theologians. These guys are unsaved, educated theologians. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Matthew 15.14, Jesus says that the Pharisees are blind guides. And he goes on and says, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. So when you... if if or when you leave Desert Breeze and you're looking for a church, you want to make sure that it's not being led by blind guides. There are churches being led by blind guides. There are churches that are, that are led by modern-day Pharisees. And you need to be aware of that. They're in our community. You have a few Pharisees in your life? I do. They're not nice people. They pretend to be nice. They pretend to, to be speaking in the name of God, but they're in some ways like these guys. I have seen people of little or no education or those who are very young have a more profound and practical understanding of Jesus than great intellectuals. And so when you grow in your knowledge of God, this is what it, it should look like. You've heard me say this over and over again. Let me keep beating this drum. You should have a greater capacity to love God and love others. These guys don't have that. And that's how you can identify a kind of a modern-day Pharisee. They're more about rules than they are about relationship. These guys should be elated that this guy that was, that was spending his life begging, he was desperate, and now he's redeemed. They could care less about this guy. They booted him out. They should be helping him to see God more clearly, but they can't even see God. It's all about rules. Amazing. I'm not saying that there aren't rules in the Christian life, but we don't do that to, to achieve a right standing with God. They come as a result of our love for God, loving God. And listen to what it says in 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's just how, how do they relate to people? These guys have hatred in their heart. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And whoever loves God is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I'm telling you, you're walking with God. You're going to be more loving. I'm, I'm seeing, even in the Christian community, a lot of hatred, a lot of witch hunting. A lot of drawing the line, saying, oh, that guy's a heresy, and oh, that person's bad, and oh, 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 oh. All these podcasts by these so-called followers of Christ devouring one another with their hatefulness. It's crazy. You're not walking with God. I don't see any love in your heart. How could that be the case? Verse 35 
through 38, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Here's the next one. So spiritual sight grows in knowledge and intimacy of Christ, and you see this happening in this man's life. Verse 11, he called Jesus, the man called Jesus. Verse 17, he is a prophet. Verse 33, he is a man from God. And then verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you growing in grace and understanding of God's favor for you and intimacy with God? Proverbs 4.18 through 19, remember these verses a few weeks back? But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So here's how I know you're growing in intimacy with Christ. Besides the fact that you have a greater capacity to love God and love others, that would be what you're looking for. In my life, that's what I'm looking for in your life. Man, you just, you just love God and you love the people around you and you're helping them to see God more clearly. But here's how I, would, I, I could see whether or not you're really walking with him. That, that his indescribable greatness will produce in you a sense of wow. It will humble you. Gets rid of all arrogance and pride. You're just humbled by that. You're just like, oh, wow. And you begin to realize his greatness is bigger than any problem in life that you'll ever face, and so it gives you a peace. But also, you'll, have a, you'll see that his unimaginable goodness will create within you a mm, satisfaction, confidence, and that his goodness is better than any, any pleasure in life. It'll give you a joy. So when you live in the reality of this, wow, God is great, mm, God is good, You'll be less cold and condemning and more warm and welcoming. You'll be less worried and more worshipful. You'll be less critical and more compassionate and caring. You'll be less stressed and hurried and more relaxed as you enjoy living in God's presence and being more present with those that you love. You'll be less obsessed about what others think about you and, and, and find more rest in your identity as a beloved child of God. Wow, God is great. Mm. God is good. Here's the next one. It is knowing that God's approval is greater by far than the disapproval of others. Did you notice that uh, the Jews cast him out? Guess who took him in? Jesus. In fact, he heard that he had been cast out, and Jesus went and found him and brought him in. That's what he does with all of us. Christ's acceptance is greater by far than all the rejection in this world. His parents were afraid to speak up for Jesus because of their fear of being cast out. And certainly there's, compli you know, there's complications to that. There's bad effects as a result of that because by them cast out, it's going to affect them uh, socially, spiritually, and economically. But if you know God's approval, you won't need to fear the disapproval of others. Jesus is worth giving up everything for. That's the point of this. Philippians 3.8 in, in the third chapter of Philippians, Paul lists all of his accolades and accomplishments, and they're, they're pretty amazing, and yet he says this, all of that is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. And he uses more vivid language even in that verse by calling it all rubbish. He says it's rubbish. I won't tell you the specific word that he uses there. It's not appropriate on a Sunday morning. But it's just, I mean, it's, he's being very, very vivid in, in his explanation for that culture 
Everything is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. Our most valuable possession is God's approval and presence in our lives. So spiritual sight is having an irrefutable story of God's transforming power, is humble-hearted believing, humble-hearted believers having greater insight of God. It is growing in intimacy with God. It is knowing Jesus' approval and presence as our most valuable possession in life. And then Jesus gives this really thesis statement at the end, summary statement. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Here's your next couple fill in the blanks. The same light that leads one person can blind another. So what's the turning point? It's pride or humility. Listen to what he goes on. He says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Next point, I have to admit that I'm spiritually blind before I can spiritually see. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, the proud, and revealed them to little children, the humble. Here's what it tells us in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So I'm telling you, I'm challenging you, I'm inviting you, seek the Lord with all of your heart, Pursue him diligently, and he will open your eyes. Put your faith in him, and you will enter into a whole new world that will blow your mind. It will be beyond your wildest dreams and way beyond what you've ever deserved. And you will begin to see the invisible hand of God working in your lives and other people's lives. You will hear the inaudible voice of God. You will experience the inexplicable but undeniable very presence of God when you put your faith in him and seek him with all of your heart. Next weekend, Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. We're going to talk about the fullness of life we have in him. My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders, and if you're new, we would love to meet you. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus this morning, man, we would love to pray with you. That would be so fantastic. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions about this message, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment. What is God speaking to you through this message? He's here. He's speaking to you. So, Father God, we know one glimpse, one glimpse of Jesus, and we'll be consumed by a desire to see more of him and spend more time with him and to say more about him. I pray for those this morning that have never made a commitment of their life to you. I pray that you would open up their blind eyes as they, as they put their faith in you, that they would see the beauty and the glory of who Christ Jesus is and what he came to do by dying in our place for our sins to reconcile us to you. And all who repent and believe in him can have eternal life. May they do that this morning. And those of us who do know you, we confess that too often our prayer life is stale and our Bible study is boring and our, our giving and service to you is in unenthusiastic. And all of this is evidence of our great need to see your indescribable greatness and unimaginable goodness. Open our eyes so that we can see Jesus more clearly and savor him more deeply. 
and show him more contagiously to our lost and dying world all around us. May we diligently seek you with all of our heart. We pray in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.